0: Hello and welcome to Laidback Lush, a little podcast where we talk about wine, beer, and spirits. I am, as ever, your trepidatious co-host,
1: Michael, a enthusiast of all things craft, and I am Gabe. I guess for this episode, I'm just here for the ride because we're talking about beer. Gabe is actually educated and tested as educated at the level of WSET level two, three 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 thank you three thank you three i'm not a diploma holder but it shows some respect for uh, you my know it's title my bad Michael. i actually
0: i do want to i do want to take the level two test and and just see where i land in any case though uh today we are not going to be talking within gabe's realm of expertise
1: despite the fact that you do enjoy beer quite a oh, bit yeah i mean um, i i know the process of making beer we did an episode on the process of making beer yeah um but You know, I'm a wine guy, so I normally drink more wine than I do beer, and uh, I do enjoy a lot of the craft brews here in Virginia, but I don't really know a lot of the ins and outs of the Virginia-specific craft brew culture, which is what we will be discussing today. Yes, because
0: apparently I'm a millennial dad, and that makes me an (laughs) expert in this field, despite the fact that
1: I have no children. You are wearing a brewery tee and khaki shorts today. I didn't even do that intentionally. I just really like the way
0: that this shirt fits. And a beanie. And a beanie and And, horn rim glasses. mm -hmm. But I shaved the mustache, so that's gone. In any case, though, today our topic is about Virginia breweries. If you enjoy this episode and you would like to follow us, please do so on Instagram and Twitter at LaidbackLush. Uh, so beer. What is beer? If you're not familiar at all, or if you uh, have been drinking beer all this time but never had a definition, beer is a fermented beverage that uses primarily roasted malted grains and hops in combination with select yeast to create varying styles of drink. A lot of other ingredients are also added in in order to showcase specific like flavor profiles or create something amazing. I'm sure if you've ever gone to a brewery, you've seen them go. This is a passion fruit
1: thing thingamabob, and that's and they said it exactly like that in that tone of voice. That is actually the uh, official. <laughs> they train you for that
0: elocution, yeah. uh, Thing. I actually <laughs> recorded for it so that everybody could have the same standard of of announcing it's like a bad larp group oh my god (laughs) where we just role play different types of ale yeah
1: oh this is my nightmare actually i'm pretty sure i've done that before in a DD group i'm not gonna lie that does not surprise me no at all at all so we're gonna
0: be talking about um just a couple of the kind of shop things about beer just to you know clear any verbiage that you may not know about talk about a little bit about the history Then just kind of like the local craft scene, as well as some recommendation for both breweries and some even award-winning beers that have been coming out of Virginia. So we have, like I said, all different types. There's a beer for every drinker, like uh, one of my friends always says, who's a beer judge. If you have a thing that you enjoy, there's probably a beer out there that's going to be able to have it. So like, uh, I know Gabe is a big fan of coffee. So, you know, and he likes it with or without creamer. You can always recommend somebody who likes coffee to have a stout, you know, that sort of thing. Or a
1: porter, depending
0: on the porter. As opposed to somebody who likes a bunch of margaritas. They typically like something with a little bit more of a sour thing going on. Well, you might want to recommend a sour to that person. So there really is just a thing for every person. What if somebody liked uh, chocolate milk? Like that was the only thing they drank. What would you recommend to them?
1: um probably a brown ale like yeah like an english brown
0: ale which is going to be nice and toasty it can be pretty sweet depending on the brewer themselves yeah and that's one of the interesting things about the the brew scene in general is that they all are going to have a kind of different take on every style that there is which is where having an expertise such as mine comes in so
1: (laughs) handy Michael really just enjoys hosting and recommending things to people that come to his residence. Yeah, I do. I, I love figuring
0: out like exactly what it is that a person is going to love, and then I just I savor their reaction to it. So uh, first thing, what is the difference between craft and domestic beers? So domestic beers, despite local evidence, uh, craft does not just mean IPAs there is every style what? of beer yeah i know it's crazy right like i know that that's four fifths of what <laughs> is offered and talked about and i think that it's it's almost like a default as soon as a guy who who says that he's into beer goes into a bar or something he'll just ask for an ipa
1: where's your ipa
0: what's your ipa like
1: do you have sierra nevada
0: oh my god they have get bent ipa that's my favorite that's my favorite that's my favorite it's my actually side. that's not a bad ipa um <laughs> that is a real ipa i wasn't being weird
1: i prefer the falcon smash actually
0: oh, that is like, really good that's actually one of the more famous ones that comes i actually there. like that ipa so um so basically your big difference between craft and domestic is that domestic is going to be made in a macro scale these are industrial machines that create a type of beer that's going to be you know your bud light your miller light even Corona although that's technically an import so basically your your biggest differences between craft and domestic beers are going to be in the amount and the way that the beer is being brewed so your big craft breweries they're still going to only be around six million barrels or less and typically it's far
1: less (laughs) only six million that's that's like the the legal definition whereas your other guys
0: like they're producing several million barrels of beer it's tons and tons it's a mechanized process and it's also that your craft brewers, they're they are claiming to have a little bit more attention to detail, higher quality
1: now, ingredients. What is the technical difference? Because I know a lot of the local breweries do use what I would consider to be industrial scale equipment. So where's where's the differentiating line between the equipment used for craft and domestic? So think of it as also a matter of facility. Our biggest
0: producer is stone mm-hmm. that i know of hardywood comes in at a close second but stone has like one of the largest facilities that we have and one of the largest distribution networks if that I remember is correctly. going to be about a sixth of the size of one site okay. for anything else The other groups, they're not only going to have larger things, but they also they are not set up for adjustment in the same
1: way that we have things set up for adjustment. So it's more about scale than about equipment itself.
0: Well, some of the equipment is going to be quite similar. But again, when you are having somebody deal with, okay, so I need a a quarter million hops to be put into this as opposed to I need a couple of tons, Mm -hmm. you know, there's there's a very large difference between even what a brewer can pay attention to. Yeah. And even then, when we're talking about the larger scale groups like stone or hardywood, that's in the minority of craft. And they're still not going to get anywhere near six million barrels a year. Yeah. A lot of these guys, like the, the t-shirt that I'm wearing right now, garden grove, the tanks fit in the back of a small carry town property yeah like like these are super small groups so the equipment is going to be very frequently and in majority very different from what they're using on industrial levels if you think about it like wine you know the difference between the fields of pools that (laughs) california Uh, excuse Um, excuse me me. oh Mm. sorry Uh, sorry did did you get something caught in your throat
1: yeah some (laughs) mayomi (laughs) that's some james suckling 94 point shiraz oh dear lord which is actually we're going to be having a james suckling 95 point pinot noir here in a second because but
0: that one's good that one's good though um but anyways yeah so like there's going to be just a clear difference between even the methodology of the equipment itself so small more attention to detail and very often at least claimed
1: better ingredients and, and, it lo- so, pa- pa- um, and it also leaves a lot. Papa John's. Jesus. You worked that to not joke into the last episode. I have a right. <sighs> you know what? You're right. I have a right. You're sir. right.
0: You're right. You're right. You're right. I, I can't get on your case too much. <laughs> but also, there's a lot of room for flexibility. You know, your bigger guys, like Guinness tried to do a thing a while ago where they were doing, uh, and that's an imported beer, but they, they had like. Uh, barrel aged something and i think that even uh gosh what's what's that group it might have been bud but there is a domestic beer that even did like aged in jack daniels barrels Hmm. and it turned out to be like the quality of an average craft beer yeah but that's like few and far in between one of the benefits of craft is the fact that they can experiment so much Now, you have a group like Castleberg Brewery. They're just going to make things as two-spec as possible. And actually, if you've never been to, to Castleberg and you're just trying to figure out what style of beer you like, they're really good, actually, for that purpose. Then you have places like Strangeways and Hardywood, which have different identities. But we can get more into that a little bit later. First, I do want to talk a little bit about the history of beer in Virginia, before we get on to the identity of beer in Virginia in 2022.
1: One could say the history is what shapes
0: the identity. I mean, yes, in all things. it's <laughs> That is that is how history works.
1: Welcome back to philosophy back lush. <laughs>
0: philosophy. <laughs> laid back philosopher. Oh my God. Oh, I love that. Lush philosopher. Mm, well, it's a working time. The
1: philosophical
0: lush. The philosophical. Ooh
1: i do like that so the delusian interpretation of the style of goza really represents the breakdown of schizoanalysis in modern day late-stage capitalism i mean
0: really when you look at it the difference between iso-alpha acids can really just highlight disparity
1: in the form of a kantian rhetoric i would say that they are truly an unchangeable form well, that when... really exemplifies The passion and ingenuity of mankind.
0: Well, think about it like when you're putting hops inside of a sweeter stout. You're trying to balance it out, but it's a flower that's actually giving the bitterness. It's actually the sweetness of life that is causing the imbalance in this case. And so you have something like a union shadow in order to bring balance to what is an impenetrable beer
1: too bad young was a (laughs) crackpot
0: too bad he was on meth the entire
1: time Uh, was it meth or coke because freud was on coke
0: no freud was on coke i i want young was probably on coke too all of those modern
1: shrooms personally (laughs) that would
0: make the most sense
1: to me let's ask jordan peterson anyway
0: (laughs) you know that he he gets down with paul stamets you know it Um. (laughs) oh god we are so
1: far off the rails
0: So who do you think were the first brewers in Virginia?
1: The settlers. No. Indigenous
0: peoples. The indigenous peoples. It Actually, they made a bunch of stuff from corn, berries, and local fruits, which means that this is technically the spiritual ancestor
1: of light beer. So would that technically make it a beer product then, or would that just make it a more generalized um, like malt liquor or something like that? Well, it wasn't a liquor. It was um a
0: malt beverage, very low in alcohol, actually typically only around maybe 3-4% and it was primarily with corn, which is technically a grain. So
1: so low ABV grain alcohol. Yep. Absolutely. With with, with some berries. berries and local yep. fruits. When the English got here, they were disappointed in the percentage. So the <laughs> so the same thing they did in Mexico. Yeah, no, it's pretty much.
0: Uh, they, they got there and they were like, um, we need beer
1: with every meal, please.
0: Uh, whereas the natives, the indigenous people, they were only having
1: it ceremonially. Not to justify the horrific treatment of the settlers to the natives, but there is maybe a little bit more rationale behind that decision than there is on the face of it. At the time particularly for these long voyages, beer was the only safe beverage to really drink. 100%. And they weren't acclimated to the area when they got here either. So beer
0: was the best and safest option for it. But they didn't have the hops that they knew of in Virginia at the time. And most certainly, they weren't growing large amounts of grain when they first got here. So they were trying to bring over as much beer as possible, and then also as much of the ingredients themselves. In point of fact, the London company started just sending brewers to train the people there so that they
1: could brew their own stuff. Isn't that so funny that they spent all that resource just for brewing?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, well, because the thing is, is that the English and the Dutch both believed that daily consumption of beer was actually the key to robustness and longevity. It was it was like a, a cultural. <laughs> and belief. they were right. And they were right. <laughs> and they were roommates. Um. <laughs> eventually we did actually find some hops that are native to virginia they're not in massive production but they uh they started to cultivate them once they found out that it would be popular it's actually really cool though their its name is humulus lupulus Humulus it sounds like lupus. a Harry Potter spell. Right? No, that's what I was thinking. Like, <laughs> that's like the spell that you use in order to uh, turn a werewolf around or something. <laughs> like, humulus, <lupus." laughs> uh, And That's it, what werewolf sound. like. In point of fact, though, brewing was so important to the settlers that the first help wanted sign ever made in what would become the United States was for a brewer. So, all sorts of stuff they were trying to turn into beer at the time, like wheat, barley, they were doing pears and apples, anything that they could get their hands on in order to make cider, or just really anything. In um, point of fact, there were two ale houses just in Jamestown. Jamestown was not very big.
1: <laughs> Pub culture.
0: Pub culture
1: brought to the Americas.
0: Listen, listen I'm telling you, they, they need variety. I know we're a small town. I know
1: you can make it back and forth, like, 30 times in an hour, but they need at least two pubs. I heard all they produce is ales. We could at least have a porter. Something Something nice. Something nice. They could put some berries in it. Just maybe some raspberries. I know we have some blackberries somewhere. I'm turning into an Australian now. Yeah, so. no. Oh gosh, that keeps on happening to me every
0: time that I try to do a, a British accent. And I'm very sorry to our British and Australian. I was about listeners. to
1: say we are yet again doing bad accents on the, <laughs> on the show. It's just, it's it's really top tier high quality entertainment we're you know, providing. I, you guys.
0: I blame social media for <laughs> my social media behavior. But then it was actually also one of the first laws that was created by the house of burgesses they were telling people if you want to move here you have to bring enough malt to brew beer until you're accustomed to the climate that's honestly kind of smart yeah you know they couldn't have people coming up and just mooching beer
1: yeah that would have been wrong (laughs) he who does not work does not get ale
0: but i mean but literally because of how many people were just immigrating constantly they had alehouses and taverns literally everywhere by the 1700s. It was literally everywhere. And it was also very important to the culture. As bad as it is to say, even plantations would often have their own brew house or distillery just on site. Uh, but George Washington, he actually started getting really proud of what they were producing. So he was like, I don't want to have any porter that is not made in the United States.
1: So he was the proto-Richmond hipster that was like, I won't drink anything farther than Charlottesville. Yeah, pretty much. He had a loyalty to it. I mean, I guess once you're the president, you
0: kind of have to, right? You yeah. Know? But even Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, they were trying to create a national brewing company out of D.C. with this guy named Joseph Koppinger, who who authored The American Practical Brewer and Tanner, as a way of kind of ensuring quality like this was huge for the culture. This was part of the identity of the founding fathers, which is both a yay and a nay from me, but you know. <laughs> as, like,
1: as are most things with our history.
0: You know, it's just like, boy, am I glad I'm here. Boy, am I not happy about how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, though, fast forwarding a little bit, the first place that we have evidence of a brewery was the Westham Foundry, which is near where Huguenot Bridge is on the, uh, on the James River. That got destroyed in 1781, and this became a trend for breweries inside of Richmond for like the next 200 years.
1: Well, it got destroyed during the Revolutionary War, right? Yeah, so yeah. there was the Revolutionary War.
0: Then you had a bunch of German, Irish, Jewish, and Welsh immigrants coming into there because you started to get more and more jobs. Those Germans, they came in and they were wanting to be pretty industrious and they loved themselves a good beer. So tons of German influence here.
1: We have Germans to thank for refrigeration, actually, particularly refrigeration and transport, if oh, I remember yeah. correctly.
0: Yeah, yeah 100%. Um, Edward and Louis Euchre, they came in and they were the reason why we had recipes for ales and porters. Unfortunately, that didn't survive the Civil War. It Literally, it was just like one thing after another. Yay! We're destroyed now. Yay! We're destroyed again.
1: <laughs> well, you know, when you're on the literal border of the Mason-Dixon line, there's bound to be some, uh, some collateral damage. Yeah, well, also, so during that time period, they
0: threw Richmond into martial law. And one of the things that they did was they restricted licenses to brew. So nobody was allowed to, to do anything mm. meaningfully. Edward Euchre did later make a beer garden uh, on Harrison and Clay Street, but it got a little slow and kind of shut down during a different crisis. Hmm. So, and, and then the Panic of eighteen seventy three happened, and you know that made it to where you know things started slowing down and shutting down. It was not good times for Richmond for a yeah. very long time, and that was primarily where you were going to see any level of economic booning. See, in, in counties during this time, that wasn't where the big moneymaker was. Everybody was being told, move to the cities because of industrial jobs. Yeah. With that, though, they started to see a bunch of beers being imported from surrounding counties, like Anheuser-Busch. That ended up moving into Richmond. Then you had, in 1906, Paps Blue Ribbon Schlitz. And then the Prohibition hit. It's It's, like whack-a-mole. No, really. It's (laughs) just like an economic boon.
1: You know, (laughs) not
0: on my watch. (laughs) Not on my watch. So Prohibition came 1916. They were supposed to have a stock. Like we weren't one of the places that they poured out the stuff. They were going to say, okay, you can get through whatever you have and then we'll implement it. They had a stock that was supposed to last several months.
1: Guess it, last, how long? it lasted three days lower a day and a half lower two hours twenty four hours ah oh, wow twenty four hours to get through several months
0: of supplies. They just drank it all ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the don't, heritage of Richmond <laughs> don't tread on me <laughs> I'm talking to my friend who is now drunk and walking on my on my ankles um <laughs> So then, you know, uh, 1933 rolls around, we're getting some better beer laws. You can only brew at 3.2%. A lot of people didn't really care for those restrictions, but in 1935, all of that was lifted. Actually, so this is a, a little bit of trivia. A technological advancement that Richmond is responsible for that is now implemented around the world for beer.
1: A snobbish attitude.
0: No, we always had that. <laughs> uh, it is a way of storing and shipping beer. Hmm. Many fridges. No, something a bit more uh, common. Canning. We made mm. cans. Mm. We did it. Go us. <laughs> Go us. We did, Well, actually, canning is probably the best way to store beer. Even with a darker bottle, you're still going to have sunlight damage, and there's going to be a little bit of oxygen damage coming in through that little that little metal top there. Yeah. So, actually, canning is
1: the best way to store a beer. PBR has had it ride this whole time. They really
0: have. You know, they knock it out of the park every time. So, we had Kruger Brewing Company from Newark, New Jersey. They wanted to figure out how to can beer, and they didn't want to do it in their hometown just in case it failed, so they did it here instead.
1: Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Well, I mean, I guess we can't really say that with too much cynicism because it worked.
0: Yeah, no, it really did. Somebody took a chance on us, all right? And sometimes <laughs> that's all you need. Um- <laughs>
1: this is a cry for help. This is a cry for Will help. Someone
0: please give Michael a hug. Uh, so then we had one of the coolest things, because all these groups, they were your more kind of domestic model. This is during the Industrial Revolution and then the following years where they were kind of figuring out how to not kill people during the
1: Industrial Revolution literally is what it was. Yeah, no, I know. It's just a funny way to phrase it. Yeah, it's just like, ooh, we have a new technology. Oh, we're gonna people are getting it. eaten alive by the machines to do it. Oh, oh. we got to fix that. Mm. <laughs> Let's fix that. Maybe we should stop putting uh, seven-year-olds in the machines with their nimble little hands. Yeah, you know, maybe we also don't let people drink three pints of whiskey while
0: they're working. That might help. Yeah, That, that, help. that was one positive about the prohibition. Yeah, people's didn't, People stopped doing that. Yeah, people stopped drinking on the job as much. You know, when somebody got eaten by the machinery, they were cognizant enough to realize
1: that that's a bad thing. <laughs> It's always a good thing to realize that you're being eaten by a machine is a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, (laughs) self-awareness. That's what we call mindfulness in the mental health community. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) So at this point, we have a bunch of these larger groups, but we didn't have really a microbrewery in the definition that we have today until Chesbay. So Chesbay Brewing Company, they came out out in Chesapeake. They were kind of one of the first groups that did that. They ended up getting a gold medal at the first Great American Beer Festival, so we started seeing kind of a return from beer as a utility to beer as a craft, and that was kind of the first time that we were seeing that, especially in Virginia. This was back in 1987.
1: That was also a little bit after Sierra Nevada Brewing Mm -hmm. Company had come out of, well, Nevada, obviously, yeah, Um, and they really helped popularize the idea of craft beer in general absolutely yeah we're yeah and we're talking about virginia at the moment but does sierra Sierra Nevada still technically count as craft or are they domestic now i'm not sure how
0: much that they produce but i know that they are still as their bottles say family owned and argued over um i would still classify them as craft i don't know how much they're producing though Mm mm-hmm just their attention and their quality seems to scream craft to me. But they're everywhere.
1: But they are literally everywhere. Yeah.
0: They got into the game really early. Yeah. And they and they broke ground. So I'm not saying that as a
1: Oh, as I'm not saying bigger. this any of this as a disparaging remark, just curious as to the actual definition of what they are now. Because their quality has remained
0: consistent. Yeah. You know, no, they, they make good beer. Yeah. It it's not like some other brewing companies that I know of. So they end up winning that with a double bock. Unfortunately, they are no longer open, but we had Rich Bra Brewing Company and Legend open up in Richmond. Those kind of are what a lot of people refer to as, especially Legends, the father of craft beer here in Richmond. Unfortunately, Rich Bra did close during 2011,
1: during that recession, but has since then reopened with new owners. And it's kind of ironic, because I don't know if you're about to say this or not, but... The reason why craft beer exploded in 2012 is we rejected the literal Prohibition-era legislation that basically said that you cannot sell by the glass at a production facility. Yeah. Now, you can. So, where you brew is where you can sell your beer, which is fantastic for local breweries, neighborhood breweries, and even for the bigger breweries, they can build fancy estate-like places. Devil's Backbone has that on 151. Blue Mountain has that on 151. So now you can sell your beer at your place and sell it at market as well instead of having to worry about doing that independently of one another.
0: Which is actually where we go with this whole story. You had Hardywood Park Craft Brewery opening and then you had Midnight Brewery, Center of the Universe, Strange Ways, and Licking Hole Creek. Mm -hmm. All of these guys ended up opening because of that law being implemented, or rather that law being rejected so that they were able to create a place where people could go and
1: enjoy a beer on the site that it was being brewed. Yeah. And And a lot of them also focused on, sorry not to interrupt, but a lot of them also, uh, even early on, the the culture was very focused on more of a family atmosphere. Um, A lot of breweries are still considered to be kid-friendly. I mean, obviously not all of them, but A lot of them do make accommodations for families and people with children, pets, all that sort of thing. A lot of them have outdoor areas for, you know, people to get their zoomies out and whatnot. Which is
0: interesting because that is really the identity of Virginia beer. Mm -hmm. It's a family friendly experience where you as the parent or you as the random.
1: Oh, no, he said the bad thing.
0: Who likes to play cornhole uh, can go to a place that is typically beautiful with its own unique identity and enjoy something that's been thoughtfully crafted.
1: Did you know that there's cornhole championships? Yes, I that, did. That they televise. Yes, it's I, be, it's beautiful. And I've watched them. It's beautiful. I, I love I, them. I watched them, Gabe. Oh, so have I. Yeah, so have I. It's actually surprising how good people can get. I know, Cornel. right? That would be the only time I would play cornhole at a brewery is if I was playing with like a champion or something, someone who's actually so that good. you could get reamed. I would just like to see the you still, know process of it. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. But still, some of those guys is just like the gap. I I will never have that much oh, free time. I, I I am recognizing that I will lose. Oh, 100%. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah,
0: one hundred percent. Now, we don't produce or consume the most in the country,
1: uh, as far as beer
0: is concerned. Those are actually reserved for California and Vermont, respectively. We produce, I think, around 345,000 barrels of beer a year. That's somewhere in the middle of production. Uh, as far as a state by state comparison, mm-hmm. whereas California does 3.7 million barrels a year. I mean, California is also like four times
1: the size of our states. So. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and also they um, they're a lot closer to Washington uh, uh, and yeah. Oregon, both of
1: which are primary producers of mm-hmm. hops. Although I think. I don't remember if it's that we outpace the production of Portland or if we have more craft breweries than Portland now.
0: I don't have that number in front of me, unfortunately.
1: I, I heard that a while back. I don't remember exactly which statistic, but we beat them out on something related to craft brews. It's probably yeah, it would probably
0: be craft breweries themselves. Yeah. Because we're not we're not anywhere near their volume. Yeah. And again, these are places where they actually grow the hops. We have like twenty-five acres dedicated to hops being grown. Compared to theirs, which is like some level of thousands of acres. Yeah. It's ridiculous. We are getting more and more hops being grown, though, here in the state. That's good. Oh, yeah, no. I'm sure
1: more varieties as well.
0: Yeah, uh, well, we're we're actually a little bit further south than hops should be grown. Mm -hmm. So a place like Oregon, Washington, their production, simply because of how much sun exposure that they get, can be like three to ten times as much. Uh, if you guys didn't know, hops are actually a flower of a hop vine, so you need the sun in order to get those buds to to produce. It is a lot. It is not an easy thing to actually cultivate at yeah. all. But there are some Virginia hops. Uh, actually, James River Distillery, uh, their gin, uses Virginia-grown hops. Oh, did not know that. As far as our craft breweries, though, are concerned, we have over 200 in the state. Not the most of any state, but certainly a very charming and comprehensive amount. Especially here in Richmond, you throw a stone, you're hitting a brewery. Yeah. We're kind of, not to brag, but in Richmond we're kind of a foodie central. We are kind of a a foodie capital here. We, We like to think that we have
1: big city energy, but we just have big foodie energy. See, well, I always hear people say they like Richmond because it's kind of a go between between like the local town feel and the big city feel, where just it's just like, with
0: no local transport of any meaningful value.
1: Well, you know, the GRTC lanes are expanding a little bit, the pulse lines and whatnot, people but they're not extensive enough to,
0: to get out of those lanes. It's very annoying. They painted True. them blood red, yeah, and people still use those lanes.
1: Apparently, uh, if I remember correctly, though, if you're a Richmond native, I believe bus fare is waived right now. I believe it's free to ride the Pulse lines. Oh, that's
0: fantastic.
1: So uh, yeah, if you are on that public transit train like I am, definitely give it a whirl.
0: Yeah. Which you can use that bus to then visit Scott's
1: Edition, which has a bunch <laughs> of different breweries that are there. Oh, my gosh. So many. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> and I a meadery. And a cidery. Oh,
0: and a cidery. Yes. The meadery is particularly
1: good, Yes, actually. Black I would Heath. recommend
0: anyone go to Blackheath. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually kind of what's become a little bit of a pastime, a little bit of a tourist thing for people in the state. People go to breweries for holidays. They will plan trips to go between them, and this is actually aided by the fact that we also have tons and tons of competitions in the state in order to figure out who's making the best of what. And I mean, we're we're doing work. You can plan a trip, or you can uh, go to virginia.org, and they have a full listing of just all the breweries, all the restaurants that you can go for different trails. And the breweries themselves, like Gabe was saying, they're super family-friendly.
1: They'll most of them.
0: Most of them. Not all of
1: them, but I, I would say the vast majority of them are. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, and it also changes depending on the time that you're going there.
1: Yeah, I, I will say I've only ever been, I think, in, I don't know, maybe one or two breweries where people were, like, noticeably drunk. Like, mm-hmm. a, like a number of people were noticeably yeah, typically drunk.
0: Yeah, people don't get drunk at breweries.
1: Yeah, no, I, I've never had anyone, like, passed out on a table or, like, I, I've never had rowdiness, really. Like, obviously things are going to get a little loud as people get kind of tipsy but if noise is a problem just sit outside (laughs) you know like yeah and that's the other thing a lot of these
0: breweries they have beautiful surroundings like hardywood west creek that's Mm -hmm. gorgeous yeah huge Um, facility too stone brewing company also uh huge not a richmond native but you know they're here now we have them uh that has some amazing trails it's right down by the river and all these groups kind of have their own unique identity. Like, Hardywood is very rustic and open. The Vale is kind of brutalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, they even have, like, concrete seating and stuff like that. Anything to make you feel small and insignificant. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but they do have some really good IPAs. You know, my favorite. But, Michael, I am a lovely, wonderful, beautiful, and very attractive laid-back Lush listener. And I want to know what your recommendations for beers and breweries would be. What would you recommend me? Do you drink tea or coffee?
0: I like matcha. You like matcha? Yes.
1: Oh, gosh. Okay.
0: What type of matcha are we talking? Do you like it with the bean paste or the
1: ice cream? I I like it with the powder that you can, you know, mix with some frothed milk to make a little latte. Oh, oh. Just like matcha tea. Indeed, yes. Okay. Hmm.
0: If you like something that's particularly herbaceous, I would probably say go for Ardent. I think that Ardent would be good for you. They have a lot of different beers. A lot of them are a little bit more herbaceous. Uh, you could also go to Triple Crossing. They're Falcon Smash in particular. Although it is fruity, it also has a lot of kind of perfumey aromatics that I think would be lovely. There are also, if you like matcha, Probably say that some lighter beers would be the way to go for you. So lighter beers with kind of uh, earthier undertones. So let's let's talk some reds. Let's talk some browns. And if we're talking that three notched, I need you to go to three notched now.
1: Actually, I changed my mind. Um, I really like black coffee. You like black coffee? Mm-hmm. Do you put anything in it? Black just coffee. black coffee. Yes. Motor oil. <laughs> Motor oil. So, I let my French press steep for three hours before Jesus. I even touch it. <laughs> Just comes out as a solid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually had a friend who would purposefully oversteep his espresso roast or even Italian roast purposefully That's in disgusting. his French press, and he would sweeten it with honey and almond milk. Why? He hates himself. I legitimately like you he understeep thought if you need it sweeter. He thought. It was the best thing in the world, and he tried to get me to drink it so many times, and every time I would be like, "Kyle, this is revolting," and he would be like, "No, it's so good." Anyway, that, that's a side note. But no, um, no, I'm, I'm. What what would fully you recommend? Horrified. What would you recommend to Kyle? I want to know what you recommend to Kyle based off of that. Uh, to develop taste. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong
0: you're not wrong (laughs) um if he likes that amount of how much sugar are we talking like how much honey he would put like a dollop of honey in there just a dollop okay
1: uh, three Notched is still going to have some amazing stuff. I would say probably Licking Hole Creek would be a good a good option. That, for that's the one that I am thinking would mostly align. Obviously, much better. Uh, Licking Hole Creek is probably my favorite brewery yeah. personally, but that I am a stout lover and they do a lot of stouts. Oh so. yeah, and we have a lot of really famous beers. That's the thing. Yeah. Also, uh, Licking Hole Creek. Before you continue, beautiful location. They are out mm-hmm. in Goochland, so they're kind of in the middle of nowhere on a huge property. They have uh, sunflowers they have a lot of open door seating it's a really cool little place to visit especially like spring summer time frame
0: and they also have that that coconut dream
1: yes that mm. is the what blueberry they stout was. too Ugh. the blueberry stout is really good they they do a very good job
0: of integrating flavors that i typically would not associate with beer before all this happened but then again this has been this sort of pairing has been going on since at least 2011. Oh, yeah.
1: I think, Um, I don't know how prominent this is in other beer craft brew uh, places in the country, but we do a lot of flavor experimentation. Mm-hmm. Not always to good effect. I will say that. Are we talking um, about Strange Ways? I am talking about several places. <laughs> if you enjoy very
0: sweet beers and you like Lucky Charms, go to Strange Ways. Yeah. They used to produce a couple of things that I really, really liked, but nowadays it's just not the beer for me Mm -hmm. um, because they do typically go so sweet on things. There's also Sours, but there are a lot of really famous kind of Richmond beers now. I would say probably the most famous is going to be the Hardywood
1: Gingerbread Stout. And we are in GBS season. We are in GBS season, although the award winner for this year was the Foolery. Oh, okay.
0: A bourbon barrel milk stout.
1: Also a thing with Richmond beer and Charlottesville beer and Virginia beer in general. Bourbon barrel everything.
0: (laughs) Bourbon barrel, rum barrel. They can add some amazing things. Tequila barrel, I don't think I've
1: had. Licking Hole Creek did a tequila barrel something. I think it was a coconut stout. Interesting. It was really good, but it was like 16%. And that thing, I... I didn't realize how high the percentage was and thankfully I did not drive that day because I had already had a secretariat which is their red IPA I don't know if they still produce it but that was a really good beer and I'm not even a big IPA person but that uh, coconut tequila barrel stout nearly knocked me down yeah it it was I finished it and about 10 minutes later I was like Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing that
0: I'm not particularly fond of with Licking Hole Creek. They have very high ABV beers. High ABV, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So, like, I'm not going to... Have a designated driver. Y- you have to have a designated driver. Yeah. There's no way that you are going to Uber from there. Yeah. You got to just have somebody. Which is always, like, the worst thing ever. Hey, you want to drive out into the middle of nowhere and not drink?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do Fun. The neighbor. Yeah. You know. Uh, But yeah, so there are, like I said, there are a lot of different ones. If you're traveling in Virginia at all, go to virginia.org. Take a look at the beer trails that are in the area. They also have a listing of everybody who has won an award for the Virginia uh, beer competition, which it's the Virginia Craft Beer Cup. It's the largest state competition of its kind. And they have all of those winners listed on Virginia.org so that you can take a look at them, so that you can visit these places. And who knows, you might find a, a place that you want to revisit and you wanna you wanna make a haunt. As far as where beer is going in the state of Virginia, we did see a little bit of a slow, but people are still opening craft breweries everywhere.
1: Yeah. I mean the startup and the turnaround is much shorter time frame wise to get viable product than like wine and distilleries unless you are producing gin. So yeah, it's very, uh, it's easy to start a brewery here in Virginia, both legally and raw material wise. And a lot
0: of these groups that have become more popular now have two, three locations. Yeah. Um, but the future of craft beer, but yeah, the future of craft beer, I see a little bit more of a focus on local ingredients. We have a lot of people who are producing local honey for meaderies. That's not slowing down. So I could see some incorporation there. We are terribly agricultural here. So yeah. uh, a lot of things that are being sourced are being sourced locally. And with more hops being grown in the area, there is more opportunity for higher quality ingredients that mm-hmm. would also have the advantage of the advertising prowess
1: of a locally produced hop. And I do know that at least Kindred Spirits utilizes their own native yeast. And by native yeast, I mean they literally put Petri dishes like on their roof and in their parking lot and oh, stuff. so cool. Um, they do lab test everything just to, you know, make sure it's all safe. So don't worry about the safety of that. But uh, I think that could be another avenue because it's like wine, you know, you can Mm. have different yeasts in different parts and maybe you don't want to use all industrial strains.
0: Oh, yeah. And even like a a sour can be very much so enhanced by the incorporation of a few other strains as well. Yeah. Yeah. So different yeasts, that sort of experimentation, really, there is no limit to what will be experimented on. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of whether or not a brewery thinks it's profitable to do so. Yeah. Yeah. But since it is that you are trying something at the location that you're going to, a lot of times just having an odd experiment is profitable in and of itself.
1: Yeah, I think what I like about Virginia beer is even though (laughs) the flavor experimentation doesn't always land, it's kind of like the wine. And listen to our last episode if you want to hear about Virginia wine, uh, if you have not. Um, Good plug, Gabe. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) The world's smallest orchestra pit is clapping for me. Um, no, uh, so I, I do enjoy that you can find just so many diverse kinds of beer here. It's fun. You know, you get to yeah. try different things. Everybody makes new stuff every year. So it's always a cool experiment. Well, and with so because of the alcohol percentage, especially of a lot of these barrel
0: aged ones, there's ageability, mm-hmm. there's aging potential, and it's not subtle. Like yeah. these things bloom. Me and my buddies, uh, we used to do a game night together a lot. We would do vertical tastings. Mm-hmm. So we would just have a bottle from two years ago, a bottle from a year ago, and then the current release. The difference was staggering. And, you know, shared between like 10 people. In mm-hmm. uh, but it was absolutely remarkable what just the aging potential, which I don't think was an initial consideration when aging these in bourbon barrels would do to the beverage itself do you have any questions about beer in virginia or hops or anything like that
1: no but i did have an idea for how we could close out the episode oh because i didn't get to say this earlier oh gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> i would say you're just waiting your turn i uh, waiting my turn yes uh <laughs> what is your underrated gem that you don't hear people talk about in the state if you could just choose one brewery for someone to visit in particular, which one would you recommend?
0: Honestly, I would I, I would have to actually call back to Castleberg. Okay. Castleberg makes solid beers. They're right around the corner from Hardywood, and that's why nobody goes there. Mm. Hardywood makes these huge bombastic beers that are all bourbon barrel aged and <laughs> yeah. you know, are slaps in the face. Uh they make good quality stuff. I am not yeah. speaking negatively about them. And their pilsner's not like that. That's a very no. Light, refreshing beer. Yeah. The Single X was actually their first that they made. But Castleberg Brewery, which is, again, just around the corner, to style, everything is exactly what it should be. So if you're just wanting to try beer, like this is the first time you're trying to figure out what style or if there are styles of beer that you haven't had before that you might enjoy,
1: it's a fantastic spot to to go and visit. Okay. Yeah. Well, mine is uh, actually going back to 151. If you don't know what Highway 151 is, it's a very famous highway with a lot of breweries. There's some cideries, there's wineries all along it. Veritas is not too far off 151, so is Afton Mountain. Two wineries I would definitely recommend. But uh, going back to beer, there is a brewery on 151 that I never hear anyone talk about. And It's called Wild Wolf, and mm. it's kind of in the middle of 151. I found it during a wine tour that I was out and about with with my dad. We just happened to see it and decided to stop in because they also have food uh, that they cook in-house. Oh, nice. I think I got crab cakes the first time I went that were very good, and the beer is also very good. It's a cool little space, kind of like a rustic, funky kind of vibe going on. And the beers are really solid. Like I said, they have a red ale in particular. I'm a sucker for a good red ale, and they have a red ale that I really enjoyed. But I enjoyed all the beers that I had there. I didn't have Mm -hmm. any beer there that I didn't. Like, obviously, some more than others, but uh, they make really good beer. And like I said, the food is also very good. So, if you're in the 151 area or if you're doing a trip on 151, like you're going out to Devil's Backbone and Blue Mountain, you might as well stop by Wild Wolf as well.
0: Yeah. No, that's a fantastic recommendation. I might be doing some beer reviews here in the future. So, again, please do follow us on Instagram and Twitter if you would like to keep up with that. But unless there is anything else, I believe that is all we have for you this episode. Don't drink IPAs. Drink IPAs, (laughs) but drink good ones. Have a discerning taste. Don't be like Gabe's friend. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah, don't be like that Michael guy who just drinks anything that has, you know, hops piled in it.
0: You know, sometimes I just like a glass of hop pellets and I just
1: chew them. Like a hamster. Like... You keep them in your cheek. <laughs> I go over to get some, to
0: mix some water uh, in and it's just one of those giant like, water dispensers.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Yes,
0: exactly like that. Yeah. Just make sure that you change out the uh, the mulch at yes. the bottom of my cage. enclosure. Water. Yeah. You know. All right. All
1: right. <laughs> okay. Thanks We're for tuning in, guys. Uh, I have been Michael. I have been Gabe. Cheers. <laughs> That's a coffee mug that he just took. <laughs> yeah. By the way, cheers. <laughs>